Yes, all glory to God. The word of God is our lamb. The word of God is our path. Now let us all direct our attentions to the scripture reading this morning, and it is taken from Badaya, um, chapter one, verses ten to sixteen. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof, while strangers carry off his wealth, and foreigners enter his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destructions, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march. Through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity, in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink, and be as if they had never been. And this is the word of God. And this morning, we will invite. Pastor Lenita to preach the Word of God, entitled "Why?" Because. Thank you, Pastor Vincent. Why? Because. Very often, when、uh, we hear the question "Why," our answer is because. Now, for those of you、uh, who remember、uh, last week, Reverend Candy preached from Obadiah, and then this week is Obadiah again. Uh, some of you may say, "What again?" Now there is a reason why we are preaching from Obadiah. For many of us, we do not know a lot about the book of Obadiah. It is actually the shortest book in the Old Testament, and then there's only、uh, it's sandwiched between Amos and Jonah. Now many of us know Jonah, right? The prophet who ran away and then got swallowed by a fish. But many of us do not know a lot about Obadiah, and so we're actually going through a series of three sermons based on this book. And the reason behind it is that the theme for the Methodist Church for these four years is actually a renewed church. And there are four areas that we are asking the Lord to help us to be renewed. One is that the church, the churches, will be renewed; the families will be enriched. Education will be enhanced, and then we want to engage the nation. And so, this、um, final quarter of this year, we are talking about engaging the nation. And so, many of you would remember our sermon series from the 31st of October. We are talking about pride before destruction.、Uh, last week,、uh, Reverend Candy talked about uh, uh, from Obadiah, and then this week is、uh, about the destruction. And then next week is about the deliverance, and so it is from the book of Obadiah. 
Now, many of us, again, we uh, do not know how to quote from Obadiah. We we'll say Obadiah chapter 1, uh, verse what to what. Actually, because there's only one chapter, so we do not even use the word chapter. We just say Obadiah, verse 10 to verse 16. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. Last week, I think uh, Reverend Candy did point out to us, uh, Obadiah is the prophecy against this nation called Edom. And many of us do not know a lot about this nation. It is actually there, you see the little red mark there. It is south of, uh, south or southeast of uh, uh, Israel. And then the people are considered uh, descendants of Esau. Now you remember, um, Isaac had two uh, boys, uh, Jacob and Esau. And then right at the beginning, there is that tension between the two of them. And then... Uh, uh, the Edomites lived in very high and secure places, thinking that they are unconquerable, right? And so the sermon that uh, Pastor Candy preached was on um, pride before destruction. And then they have a capital that is like a fortress. Uh, it's called Timan, and then it's mentioned in verse 9 what happened to it. And so if you look at the present map, compare the present a map of the area of Israel's nation, uh, Edom would be somewhere within Jordan. And so then as we look at uh, Obadiah, uh, we will begin by looking at verse 10 to verse 16. The first word that we see in verse uh, uh, 10, it's uh, because, all right? It's because. Now, um, So that's why my sermon is because, and so from verse 10 to verse 16, it's about the reason why God pronounced destruction on uh, Edom. Now, before we continue, I have a little video clip that explains the whole book of um, uh, Obadiah, and we'll take a look. It's a very interesting way of presenting uh, the book. Can we have the video clip? The book of the prophet Obadiah. This is the shortest book in the whole Old Testament. It's a mere 21 verses. And at first glance, it does not look very promising. It's a series of divine judgment poems against the ancient people of Edom, which was a nation that neighbored Israel on the other side of the Dead Sea. However, there is way, way more going on here. So first, here's the backstory. The people of Edom were unique because they had a shared ancestry with the Israelites. They both belonged to the family of Abraham, who, with Sarah, had their son Isaac, who, with his wife Rebekah, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, the book of Genesis told us the story of these two brothers, and to say the very least, they had a tense relationship. They each later received the names Israel and Edom, which eventually became the name of the families that descended from them. And these families replayed the same difficult relationship of their ancestors. Israel and Edom had enormous tensions throughout the centuries, but they still shared that family bond. And it's that bond that was betrayed and shattered in the tragic events of Jerusalem's fall to Babylon. So when Israel was invaded and conquered by Babylon, the people of Edom took advantage by plundering other Israelite cities and then capturing and even killing Israelite refugees. Now, in other prophetic books, God held Israel's neighbors accountable for this kind of violence. And so here, Obadiah does the same for Edom. 
The short book has two halves. The first part is a series of accusations against the leaders of Edom, specifically for their pride and self-exaltation. Literally, as they lived up high in the desert rocks, but also metaphorically, they truly believed they were superior to the Israelites. And it's that pride that led the Edomites to not just stand idly by when Babylon came to destroy Jerusalem, but actually to participate in the destruction. And so God says through Obadiah that Edom will be brought down from their height and destroyed. As they have done to Israel, so it will be done to them. Now, right when you think you're going to hear more about how Edom will meet its doom, the topic suddenly shifts in verse 15. We hear this, the day of the Lord is near against all nations. Now, why do we all of a sudden shift from Edom now to all nations? This first is a hinge piece, and it links the first half of the book to the second half, where Obadiah announces the day of the Lord, but not only for Edom. He widens his focus to include all nations. And Obadiah says that all prideful nations that act like Edom will face God's justice in the same way. They'll fall from their prideful heights and come to ruin. Now, the combination of these two sections, one about Edom, the other about all nations, shows us why Obadiah was so interested in this tiny southern neighbor of Israel. Obadiah sees Edom's pride and fall as an example, an image of how God will one day confront the pride of all nations and bring about their fall too. It's hardly coincidental that in Hebrew, the word Edom or Edom is spelled with the exact same letters as the word humanity or in Hebrew, Adam. In Obadiah, Edom's rise and fall is a parable of how God's justice will one day oppose pride and violence among all nations in the day of the Lord. All right, okay. It's a very uh, concise and uh, comprehensive presentation of the book of Obadiah. Now, as we look at this passage, the first point that I want to share with you all is the word brothers versus foreigners. And so as we look at verse 10, it begins with, because of the violence against your brother Jacob. And then in verse 12, you should not gloat over your brother uh, in the day of his misfortune. Now, of course, we understand, we all understand the word brother, don't we? But in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, the word brother appears in the Old Testament more than 600 times. Of course, it is used in blood brothers, same family, same father, same mother, like Cain and Abel. It's also used for Joseph and his brothers, which uh, you all know, same father, but different mothers. But in the Old Testament, the word brother, the same Hebrew word, is also used in a context like Abraham and his nephew Lot. We won't call them brothers, it's uncle and nephew, but the Hebrew word describes that relationship as brothers. Like Jacob and his uncle, his mother's brother, Laban, that's also considered a brother relationship. And if we take it even further, people from the same tribe. You know, in Israel, we have the 12 tribes, people from the same tribe. That means outside the immediate family, it's also considered brother. And if we take it further, in fact, in the laws of Moses, when God gives commands, you can charge interest to others, but you don't charge interest to your fellow brother, meaning your fellow Jew, 
And so the word brother is very, very wide, very, very comprehensive. Anyone, in fact, who worship God with you is considered your brother. And of course, we use the generic term brother to include brothers and sisters. And so that's God's expectation, not just the immediate family, but people of the same tribe, people of the same nation are all described as brothers. And for, for, uh, uh, for Edom, uh, in fact, the relationship is, you can trace back to Abraham, and so it's even closer. But then the word foreigners in the same text in verse uh, 11, the way the word strangers and foreigners are used, it would mean to describe people who are not just of a different nationality, but people who go against the will of God. And so in this case, as we look at this passage, it's very clear that there is a distinction between the word brother and then strangers and foreigners. Now, if we look back into the book of Numbers, Numbers 20, right at the beginning there, when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, and they came to the border of Edom. And so in verse 17, Moses asked, please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or any vineyard and we will not drink water from the well. Is that allowed? It should be allowed. But yet again, we see here in this passage, the king of Edom replied, you will not pass through. If you do, we will come after you with a sword. And then the Israelites replied, we only go along the main road. Okay? And if we drink any water, if our animals drink any water, we're willing to pay for it. Very reasonable. But Edom's reply is, you will not pass through. And so right there, at the beginning, you see that this this group of people who's supposed to be the brother of the Israelites failed in, reaching, failed in uh, helping uh, the Israelites. And then, of course, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 35, the prophecy through Ezekiel is also against the Edomites. Not just here in Obadiah, but also in Ezekiel. God says, I've set my face against Mount Sire and that I will bring you down. And so as we look at this passage right at the beginning, why did God pronounce judgment and destruction on Edom? Why? The reason is that they have forgotten what it means to be a brother. And so there you have in verse 11, they stood aloof. And so the next point that we look at, as we look at the next few verses, what did Edom do or what did Edom fail to do? Okay, and so I call my, uh, my uh, uh, point is omission versus commission. All right, and so in verse 10, when God says, because of the violence against your brother. Now, when we hear the word violence against, we expect to have a lot of violent actions you know, doing things, doing bad things to someone. And yet, if you look at the verses from verse 10 onwards, you would see that it is both omission and commission. First, in verse 11, God says, you stood aloof. 
You stood aloof, you did not do anything, you just stood there. And then it gets worse in verse 12. The Edomites gloated and then rejoiced and boasted when the Israelites were suffering. Now I'm sure many of us would remember when we were younger, we were less kind, we were quite mean. When people we don't like, including our siblings, when they fall or when they get punished, we would be so happy, isn't it? We'd be clapping our hands. In fact, this morning, Karen uh, was uh, saying it to me, said, very good, champulut, you know, that, that we, we, we gloat over the misfortune of someone. And so here you have it, what the Edomites did. And then you go on to verse 13. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of the disaster. Now remember, it wasn't the Edomites who attacked Israel. It was the Babylonians. It was the Babylonians who attacked. But the Edomites were just there. First they stood aloof, then they gloated. And then what happened here? It says they marched through the gates. The gates were already open because the Babylonians had come in and invaded. And then they gloated and they seized the wealth of the Israelites. The Edomites can actually rationalize with God and say, we didn't do anything. We were not the attackers. It's already there. The door was open. The city gates was open. We just marched in. And since the things were all there, the treasures were there, we just conveniently take it. It's a good opportunity, isn't it? Right? The Edomites could have rationalized like that. And then in verse 14, we have this act of commission. When the Israelites were carried off to Babylon, what the Edomites did was stood at the crossroad to cut down the fugitives. Those who managed to run away from the Babylonians were caught by the Edomites and then handed back to the Babylonians. Now, that's why I call it both omission and commission. For the Edomites, it's just opportunity, very good opportunity presented to them, but they forgot who are these people. These people were their kinsmen and their relations. And so here we have God's definition God's expectation of his people. And then finally, in the last two verses of this passage, we have God's judgment. And God's judgment is the day of the Lord is not just for the Edomites, but for all nations. What was done by you to others, the deeds will then return to them. And verse 16 is just an emphasis of what would happen. What you do to others will be done to you. Friends, as we look at this few verses in this very short book, what then can we learn that would be relevant to us today as Malaysian Christians in this country? The two things that I think all of us can't do First of all, we remember that the word family, the word brothers, has got, it's not limited to blood relations. 
by the definition, by what we see in the Bible, it is more than just blood relation, not just brothers, biological brothers and sisters in the same family, not just people of the same race, and even not just people within the church. The Bible is very clear throughout the Bible. You have things like uh, in Proverbs 3, don't withhold good from someone who deserves it. We have the ability to do good. We have the means and the resources. Don't withhold it when you have the power to do so. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burden so you will fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 13, don't forget to do good and to share what you have because God is pleased with all these sacrifices. And it is appropriate as I think about it that on this day, the first Sunday of the month, when we're going to celebrate communion, and every time we celebrate communion, our prayer of confession is that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. Acts of commission. But there are also acts of omission. We have not loved our neighbours. We have not heard the cry. Or we have heard the cry, but we have chosen to ignore those cries. One of the very encouraging characteristics and feature of the Methodist Church is that John Wesley preached about personal holiness, but he also preached about social holiness. And so it's a characteristic of the Methodist Church that we're involved in social concerns. Right? Among the leaders in the church, in the LCEC, we have this position called the chairperson of Christian social concerns. Not just social concern, but Christian social concern. And so for us to give food, for us to extend help uh, to the society is something that we are all used to. And I'm, I'm just so uh, encouraged that FMC has been doing this a lot. And especially during the MCO, uh, we have put up fillers, we have put up information that those in need, we can help. But is that all? As brothers, by the definition of the word, brothers and sisters, is that all that we can do? Can we do more? In the write-up that Bishop Jaya wrote about renewing the church, about engaging the nation, he had a few suggestions, and I've highlighted this four. We need to be a Christian voice. Not just a voice of complaint and protest, but we need to represent God, talking about justice and righteousness and Christian values to the government and the society. With the state election coming, the church must remember that we are non-partisan, but yet, we need to be concerned about politics, about righteousness, about justice. We're non-partisan, but we need to be concerned. And then we need to advocate for those in need and take a stand. It's not just 
you know, getting food and then going out to distribute and so on. But we need to advocate. And especially here in Kuching, my dear brothers and sisters, we are only less than an hour's drive from many, many needy communities. And so what are we going to do about it? And then finally, we need to stay alert on issues pertaining to religious freedom, education, marriage, families, natural environment, social economic welfare, and the treatment of migrant workers. We need to be alert, we need to be aware, and then we need to speak up. I thought I would make a little advertisement here this coming Thursday, our prayer meeting. We're focusing on migrant workers, foreign workers. And so do come and join us as we pray for foreign workers. And it's something that you and I can be doing, both individually and collectively as a church. We are the voice, and um, we are the voice of, con the, of the conscience to the nation. We need to do that. And then, of course, the other main point that we look at is God's judgment. God pronounced his judgment against the uh, nation of Edom. And then what we see here, for many of us, we would see, now God's uh, pronouncement is in verse 2, he says, I will make you small, and then I'll bring you down. I will, uh, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom? And the warriors will be brought down and cut down in the slaughter. Friends, <coughs> as we look at this, God's pronouncement against the nation of Edom was in the year about 600 before Christ. Plus 2,000, it's more than 2,500 years. Where is the nation of Edom now? In Kuching, you are able to try different, different cuisines, isn't it? Right, Korean, Japanese, uh, uh, Vietnamese, and, and recently I found that there's even a Sri Lankan uh, cuisine that you can go for, all kinds of cuisine. How many of you have had a meal recently at the Edomite uh, restaurant? Is there any Edomite restaurant, Edomite cuisine anywhere that you have travelled to? What about an Edomite religious or cultural holiday? We have all the different kinds of holidays, public holidays here in Malaysia, celebrating different religious emphasis, cultural celebrations, or even if you look around in the world, there are different kinds of holidays. What about an Edomite holiday? What happened to the nation of Edom. As I've mentioned earlier on, the, where Edom was is now present-day Jordan. Now, those of you who have been to Jordan have been to this place called Petra. You will walk through a very long and narrow passageway, as that picture shows you, and both sides are very high rock surfaces. And then you walk in and you reach this place called the Treasury a building carved out from the surface of the rock. And from there, you could go higher up to the mountains, and then there are many other buildings 
built in the rocks. It is really, really a nation that cannot be conquered. Who can go through such passageway? Any army coming through would be shot down immediately. And then to go up to the high places to conquer them, no way. And yet, the truth and the reality of God's pronouncement and God's judgment is that the nation of Edom is completely wiped out from the surface of the earth. His words in Obadiah has been proven true. Many of us who may be frustrated with all the injustice that we see around us, wicked and corrupt people who don't seem to get punished, who are like the Edomites and are still high in the high places, unpunishable, unconquerable. What does Obadiah tell us? The message from Obadiah today is that God's judgment, God's punishment will come true. And so as Christians, when we get frustrated, when we get discouraged, I would encourage you to read Obadiah again. It is a comforting book to read as we read of the racial injustice, political maneuvering, corruption and oppression in our country and in other countries. Obadiah reminds us of the sovereignty of God and the reality of his word. His message is that the Edomites cannot escape extermination because they were unrepentant, they were remorseless and stubborn against the people of God. They stood aloof, they refused to help their brothers. And not only that, they committed sins against their brothers. And so my dear friends, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, here in Kuching, here in Malaysia, Yes, we do get a bit discouraged. But Obadiah's message reminds us of, that, of the fact that God is still in control. Some of us may know, and I think just now Pastor Vincent also announced, that we used to have once every uh, four years, we have a Methodist prayer convention, physical. Some of us may remember it's a major, major event and takes so much uh, organizing to bring people together to pray. But during this pandemic, once a month, usually on the second Sunday night, Methodists all over Malaysia have been able to gather online to pray for our country. We started, uh, I think, in May this year, and then we have been doing it every month. And as we pray, Somebody commented to Bishop Jaya and said, why bother to pray? The more we pray, the worse it becomes. And so we don't need to pray. We get very discouraged. But do you realize that, for those of us who are here and those of you who are online, do you realize that we have new lights here in the sanctuary? We have changed our spotlight because earlier on, some people said, can't really see pastor's face. And so now 
is supposed to be brighter and then the stage light is also brighter. So when the praise and worship team is there, we can see. The first Sunday, when the lights, the new lights were on, I was watching online and I noticed in that corner, there was a wire that was hanging out that was so obvious. The wire has been there, but I've never noticed it because the lights in the sanctuary were a bit dim and that corner is a bit dark. I'm sure some of you will look at that corner and see, I think the wire is still there. But because of the bright light, the unsightly wire is now so obvious. There's a spiritual truth in that, isn't it? In our homes, when we forget to dust certain corners, there are dust there. If the light doesn't shine there, we don't see the dirt and the dust. But once you shine the light into that corner, all the dirt and the dust can be seen. And so that's what is happening in our country, friends. As we pray, God's light shine on the corners of things that are supposed to be hidden and not known. And so we do not give up. Obadiah's message to the Edomites and to the Israelites and to us reminds us of the truth of God's word, the reality of his prophecy and the sovereignty of our God. And so we don't give up. Christians, we don't give up. We continue to pray for our nation. We continue to be the light and the salt that God has called us to be. And my prayer is that as we partake of the communion today, as we remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, we would remember the reason why you and I remain here in this world, in this country, with a mission to carry out. Let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we're thankful to you for this short little book of Obadiah. We thank you that although it is short and uh, insignificant, seemingly, but yet the message is strong and powerful. And so I pray that God, for all of us, we will hear your message to us, that we will continue to be the brother or sister that the Edomites failed to be. We will continue, Father, to look to you, to know that God, you are sovereign and your word and your prophecy, your desire for justice and righteousness stands regardless of time. So we commit ourselves to you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.